Chiyotra says you are a star. You were born at a moment in time when all the planets and stars were lined up to create such a beautiful matrix of light. And you are the coming alive of that. You are the coming alive of a matrix of light, energy, and intelligence. Here to shine, to really shine that light, to know who you are. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Ayurveda. I am your host and Ayurvedic counselor, Julia, and today I have prepared such a special episode with a very special guest that I cannot wait to introduce. Today's episode is one that will not only deepen your understanding of Ayurveda, but will also introduce you to the captivating realm of Vedic astrology which, as it turns out, shares a profound connection with Ayurveda. When we look back in time, every ancient civilization has evolved a science of astrology. The science of astrology is the study of the effects of the zodiacal signs and planets and their influence on the tides of civilizations, world events, and individual lives. Astrology has been in existence for countless of millennia, and has helped to shape and influence some of the greatest cultures in recorded history. India, China, Egypt, Rome, Babylon, Greece, the Mayan Empire, just to name a few. And these cultures essentially charted their destinies according to the movements of Earth's planets and stars. Amongst the oldest of these, and surely the oldest that is still in use today, is the Vedic astrology of ancient India known as Joydish. And the word Joydish translates to the science of light. And this is so beautiful because Joydish means the science of light and the word Ayurveda translates to the science of life. And so you may be wondering, what does the medical system of Ayurveda have to do with the stars in our sky? And what a beautiful question that is. Because delving into the profound connection between Vedic astrology and Ayurveda is like navigating a maze between cosmic wisdom and ancient knowledge where these two systems inevitably and intricately intersect. Each and every individual is seen as a unique combination of the three doshas, vata, pitta, and kapha. And these energies represent various elemental and constitutional qualities that we have been going over throughout these episodes. Vedic astrology complements this by asserting that our doshic composition is influenced by the position of the stars and planets at the time of our birth. This planetary influence that can be seen in one's birth chart is intricately linked to the doshic balance outlined by Ayurveda. Just as the positions of Earth's moon exerts a mighty influence on the ebb and flow of the ocean's tides, it also has an influence with the other planets the same way it impacts the energies that flow throughout our human body. This ebb and flow of energies is what influences our wellness, our health and disease, our integrity and dissolution, and our strengths and weaknesses. Now I will say that Vedic astrology is still a very new ocean of knowledge that I have just begun to dip my toes in. And that is why I am so excited to introduce today's guest, to help walk us through the beautiful wisdom that Vedic astrology holds. Laura Plum is a fellow graduate of Kerala Ayurveda Academy 
and is a graduate from the American Institute of Vedic Studies. Laura is the founder and director of VedaWise and has decades of studies and teachings in yoga, meditation, Vedanta, Joydish, herbal medicine, energy medicine, nutrition, health, and healing. Laura is also the author of the best-selling book, Ayurveda Cooking for Beginners. Laura has been such a leading voice in the field and an international educator on the power of the Vedic sciences, all to promote vibrant health and sacred living. The list really goes on for Laura and all of her amazing work that she's done, but I will let her tell you all about the rest. So without further ado, welcome Laura Plum to Simply Ayurveda. Thank you, Julia. Thank you for putting together this podcast. Thank you for keeping Ayurveda simple. (laughs) Simple but sumptuous, I'm sure. Simple but sumptuous. I love that. Laura, what an honor it is to have you today. I mean, you are such a powerful voice in the Ayurvedic community. And I remember when I first started following you, I had just started my Ayurvedic studies at Kerala Academy. And you were just a guiding bright light as I was just getting started in the world of Ayurveda. So this is definitely a pinch me moment that we are sitting together here doing this episode. So let's begin by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got started with Ayurveda. I got started with Ayurveda by growing up uh, in an area that you're familiar with outside of north of Chicago. And for people who don't know Chicago, it's on Lake Michigan. It's on the western shores of Lake Michigan. So you could go to the lake and watch the sunrise. It's a giant lake. The five great lakes are called great because they are so huge, so big. Um, and so you could be on the lake and not see the shore. Actually, you can't see other side. So it's not like a lake, a little lake. It's a very big thing. And I used to love to go summer, autumn, winter, spring and play there or frolic there or walk by the lake or mostly sit by the lake. I feel like I learned to meditate by the lake um, before any formal education or training in it. Just fascinated me to sit and watch the waves and watch the birds and watch nature. And the Great Lakes are interesting too at the border of Canada. So we get a lot of weather that comes down from, from the very north. And the weather there can be very changeable. It can be very, very, Chicago is very Vata Kapha part of the world. And so you get these high winds. It's known as the Windy City, not just because of the winds, also because of the politicians and of old in the 1920s and 30s. But the idea there that that everything is so changeable and that you could sit there and watch the weather and watch the sun and watch the clouds and watch the wind and and feel it and experience it. And I just came to feel like Lake Michigan was, you know, my second mother. And I think that's where I first discovered Ayurveda because what is Ayurveda but observing nature and noticing how nature plays upon you and then seeking to harmonize with that. But then also to remember that you too are nature. You know, we're not cars, we're not yet robots, (laughs) we're not houses. We are nature too. And so really all of Ayurveda is about how do we harmonize with the song of life itself? How do we hear not just the whisper of our soul, but the song of our being, right? And feel that nature itself is part of the chorus, right? So that we really fully, truly come alive. So that's that's that. With that context, I I went after after I graduated from college university, I went to live in London. And in London, I lived very close to a place called Neil's Yard. And Neil's Yard was a place that made all these herbal remedies and essential oils back in the day when that was still fairly new. And um, but they also had this little restaurant where you could go get a bowl of beans or a bowl of porridge. 
really basic sort of macrobiotic uh, foods. And um, they had acupuncture and they had different things. So I was there all the time. I was just fascinated by it. I actually first met my first geotish practitioner that I ever, you know, first learned about geotish there. And, you know, from that, I got into yoga there and I got introduced to some of the Ayurveda, but also, you know, to all the all the Asian um, medicines and philosophies and practices. And I'm just going to say it went from there. Basically, it went from there. I just became more and more interested. I went through a difficult, some health issues in my 20s and uh, a, a pretty heavy divorce when I was about 33. I have a friend who reminds us that Ulysses in the Great Odyssey, it's at you know 33 that he turns the ship and had, starts heading home. Mm-hmm. It's such a powerful time in a person's life. It feels like that time where we are turning ourselves home. Who am I? What am I doing here? I've gone out in my 20s and explored the world. I've gone out and tried these new things. Who am I now? And how do I merge? How do I bring myself forward and into the world? And so that was a time when I I really settled in and said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do yoga. And yoga is going to take me into Ayurveda. So I was teaching yoga so that I could study Ayurveda. And um, and then the geotish came from there. So it's been a really beautiful path. I've been very, very fortunate. It's been very bumpy. There's been a lot of... Um, challenging encounters which i'm so grateful for because i think it's beautiful to to experience yourself as a as an as an inchworm (laughs) becoming you know getting into that chrysalis and then stretching your wings and learning to fly it's a beautiful experience to have that experience in and of itself but it's also beautiful to have that awareness of what others go through every knock was a knocking that would chip off another piece that was my old self that didn't belong, that I didn't need. I always like to think about Michelangelo because as you and I both spent some time in Florence, Michelangelo and I was in Florence studying art history and thinking that's what I was going to do with my life. And I think that ultimately that is what I've done with my life, right? Ayurveda is learning the art of life, the art of living, right? And so Michelangelo would say about the sculpture, the, the David, people ask him, you know, how did you carve that? And he said, I didn't, I just chipped away at the stone that was imprisoning the David that was already there. Like I just freed him. I just let him be free. I love that. And I think we're all like that. That's what our life is. It's about chipping away all that is not you so that you fully be revealed and live the art of your own life. Wow. That is so, so beautiful. And you know, so many artists came to try to sculpt out of that extremely difficult marble and so many failed. And then Michelangelo Uh, came and completely changed their world. What a beautiful addition. Yeah, the Carrara marble is so hard. That's a beautiful thing to add to it. Ah, (laughs) very hard. (laughs) I know, it's so incredible. And what an inspiring story. you, You said it so beautifully. And just the way that you kept moving through the different ebb and flows of your life. I definitely relate to what you said about being in that cocoon phase and slowly chipping away at anything and everything that was holding you back from your truest and purest nature. So thank you for sharing that with us. So can you walk us through now exactly what Vedic astrology is and how it differs from the astrology that we are familiar with in the West? Um, I once was at the Adler Planetarium, which is in, in the Chicago area, and I was living in London at the time, but I was back for, for the holidays, visiting my mom. And when I say for the holidays, it was Christmas time. So they did a Christmas show um, about the three wise men and where they, where they actually came from, who they actually were. And what was that star of Bethlehem? What was that star that they followed 
in order to find a baby in a manger that they were calling the next like great prophet, I think is what they were expecting. I mean, uh, so they were Zoroastrian priests and they were basically following the stars and the Zoroastrians uh, were also great astrologers. And then there's a mix of Persian wisdom and Persian influence also on the Indian culture. Um, so it's sort of interesting to think about. I love to think about how all of these rivers flow, right? The people from the different countries and cultures coming this way and coming that way and influencing each other. Astrology is based on astronomy. Vedic astrology is based on equatorial or what's sometimes called Indian astronomy. So where are you looking at the sky? Where are you when you're looking at the sky? Are you in California? Are you in Mexico? Are you in Italy? Are you in the Himalayas? Right, We have to decide where we're going to look at it from. <laughs> that has to be kind of a decided point. Once upon a time, we talked about Greenwich Mean Time. Now we still stand in Greenwich and look at the sky, and we, but we don't call it Greenwich anymore. We call it Universal Time. So, but there's still this idea that, okay, we're going to stand here and this is going to be the center of the time zones, right? And then what is the longitude? What is the latitude? I don't get, mean to get too technical, but that is basically what the difference is. The difference is when the peeped people of, of the Himalayas looked at the sky, they were somehow smart enough to realize that not only do the planets move and the moon moves, but those planets are moving against fixed stars, even that is moving. So they're also observing that moon is not just waxing and waning, but it's moving its positions in the sky every single day. That's a lot of movement, right? And they first and foremost were tracking that. I could say that that's a primary distinction. It's a moon-based system. And that's really important so that when you meet somebody, you're not going to say, hey, what's your sign? I mean, what's your sun sign? You'd be more curious to know what is your property and therefore, what am I seeing in front of me? And that we can see by the first house or the rising sign, also called the ascendant. And then as I get to know you, I'm going to want to know how you think, how you feel, how you interpret things, how you're responding to the world. That's your moon. And I'm not an expert in Western astrology. So anybody who is, forgive me if I'm not 100% getting this right, but I don't think Western astrology has the dasha period. So the nakshatras make Jyotish unique. The nakshatras are those lunar mansions. So you can see not only where your moon is in the chart, that's very important for us to see. So your moon could be in Taurus or Gemini. What constellation is it in? We call it a Rashi or sign. But then what nakshatra? So inside of Taurus, inside of every sign, there are three nakshatras. There are 12 signs. 12 times 3 does not equal 27. So if you remember, I said that there's 27 nakshatras. And the reason for that is that there are nakshatras that will be bridging from one to the next. So you'll have, in Aries, you'll have Ashwini is the first nakshatra. If Aries is the start of the zodiac, Ashwini is the first of the nakshatras in the first sign. The next one is Bharani. And the next one, Kritika, is at the end of Aries and the beginning of Taurus. And then there's Rohini, and then there's Murgashira, which is at the end of Taurus and the beginning of Gemini, right? So you'll have three nakshatras that are in Taurus, but two of them are also in other signs. So I'm just saying this because you will have a planet there in nakshatras. And if we talk about the moon, for instance, your moon is in a sign, and within that sign, it's in a nakshatra that gives a lot more specificity. Moon in Aries is one thing. Moon in Ashwini is very different from moon being in Bharani. 
And so there are ways in which we continue to go deeper and deeper, right? And so that's very, very important, but there are nakshatras for every planet. Every planet's going to be in a sign and inside the sign in a nakshatra, meaning again, a sign is a group of stars that create a constellation, the Big Dipper, the you know different ones that we can see as shapes in the sky. And then is it at the beginning, middle, or end of that constellation? Which stars was that planet closest to when you were born? Wow. And so the nakshatras are really cool to look at. The other thing then is that houses represent 30 degrees of the sky. Constellations, we carve out 30 degrees of the sky. And so you can place the constellations on the house. But while constellations are sort of places in the sky where the planet's transiting, I always think of constellations as a group of friends are those is that star group friendly to that planet if we're back in high school mm-hmm. is that the friendly group or is that the group you didn't feel so comfortable being around right so that's kind of how it is is where is your sun where is your moon where is your saturn not only in the sign but in that nakshatra versus the houses which if space is a field we divide space into 12 fields right and we say well there's that field the field of home the field of marriage or significant relationship, the field of our career, children, creativity, right? And then we can break down those houses, those fields, even further. So that's the thing that's really interesting about geotrics is we go deep, deep, deep into this. And then there's another thing which is called the dasha period. And the dashas are a sequence of planetary periods. And the sequence, I always like to think of it as, think of a railroad. You're in Switzerland. The train is going to go across this, the tracks between the mountains through a beautiful valley. And imagine the track is painted white, red, green, blue, all these beautiful colors. But each color is not the same length. While the train, which is you and your life, goes over this period, it's going over the white. That might be a long period. And then the red period is short and then the blue is medium. And where do you start your life? on this track. That's determined by where the moon was when you were born. Not only what sign it was in, but what nakshatra. And so these periods of life are so interesting because this sort of explains why we have the highs and lows of life and why, you know, everybody in their 20s isn't having a high while everybody in their 40s is having a low. You know, your friends might be going through their Jupiter period while you're going through your Rahu period or your Saturn period. But those are transits. So you can get these periods of long-term periods. The Saturn period is a long-term period where it is nose to the grindstone. It is a period that is teaching you integrity, honesty, hard work, patience. Stay the course. And at the end, you will be rewarded and you will look back and say, wow, I built so much in that time. I built my legacy. I built my foundation. I learned so much. Going through it, you might be like (laughs) going through the desert on your elbows. I hope that's not a mirage. I hope that's really water. <laughs> yep. I need a break. Yep. I relate to that. Yeah. Especially right now. Yeah. Well, I could speak to, to that. <laughs> Looking at your chart. Yeah. Yeah. You're going through one of the more difficult dasha periods. And you're also in the Saturn return. So you're, you're going through it. Wow. 
Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. You know, I actually had a feeling I was in my Saturn return. I was hoping that this was my Saturn return because I can't handle another one. Um, So just to give our listeners some background, when you have a Saturn return, that essentially means that Saturn is coming back into the house, back into the same location that it was when you were born. And this is essentially the time in your life when you start to question what you're doing, question your purpose. And that is exactly what I started going through towards the end of 2021 into 2022. I was doing social media management and branding and social media marketing for businesses for almost eight years at this point. I was living in New York. I even started my own social media agency when I just realized how unfulfilled my soul felt. But I also felt so trapped because that was the job I had done for a majority of my life. I never had a quote, real job. So I just had no idea what else I was able to do. Um, I did have a business partner at the time, so that allowed me to take a month off of work. I flew all the way to Greece to attend a month-long yoga teacher training, and that is where I met Ayurveda. After that retreat, I came back to New York, and literally within two weeks, I packed my stuff, I moved out, I closed my business, and I enrolled in school to learn more about this science because I just knew that this is this was my calling and this was my real purpose and this is what was going to fuel my soul. And what year did that happen? That happened in 2022. Okay. So, so as an example, then in 2022, Saturn was in Capricorn. So that's your ninth house. Saturn's coming into your ninth house and saying, what is the essence of you? Mm. Let's do our soul work now. Right. Saturn's always about work. Ninth house is soul. Yeah. Right. And then at the same time, you're in a you're in a Rahu Dasha period. Rahu is a Dasha period characterized by volatility and uncertainty. Lots of ups and downs. Just got to learn to ride the waves. Mm-hmm. This too shall pass. Mm-hmm. But the sub period is Mercury. So Mercury is a beautiful planet that is the prince. Right. Mercury loves to learn. Mercury loves to study. Mercury is going to grow up one day and be a son, be the king. Right. So Mercury's got to learn. But at the same time, He's still a kid, so he gets to knock off early and go play with his friends. Mm-hmm. So Mercury also has a playfulness about it, a lightheartedness. Mm-hmm. And you are in that Rahu secondary Mercury period. Mercury's in your rising sign. Mercury rules your second house of how you earn an income, second house of voice and what you vocalize and finding your own voice, right? Mm-hmm. And Mercury in your chart also rules your fifth house of creativity and wealth creation and education. So no surprise, you go back to school mm-hmm. and you're learning how to use your voice, to earn an income, right? And to even use your own life experience yeah, in order yeah. to grow your income and your wealth and staying creative, staying true to yourself. All of this will really reward you. Yeah. So, you know, there are these things where if you understand it from the Jewish point of view, I feel like you can give yourself a pat on the back. You've gone through something hard, but not just because you're a bad person or life is hard and you should be isolated and all alone. And But no, it's like, no, this happened for you to really, you know, change and shift and reveal yourself. And bravo, you did a great job getting through it and really hearing the message and learning the lessons and unfolding your true nature as these planets were hoping you would. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Honestly, I'm a bit speechless. Thank you so much for saying that. I mean, that just means so much coming from you. And it's just so incredible how 
you're able to interpret one's life events and what people are going through through understanding the planetary influences in one's chart. I mean, it's it's incredible. Laura, could you walk us through exactly how Vedic astrology is intertwined with Ayurveda? Because I think that there's going to be some confusion as to how the two are interrelated. If you think about it, Jyotish is a sister science to yoga and Ayurveda. Mm-hmm. And it's a science that is helping us with the prime Veda, which is the path of self-realization, otherwise known as yoga. Yoga is more than asana, more than postural movements, right? Yoga is really a path to realize your true nature, your true self, your infinite being. And Jyotis helps you with that. Jyotis says you are a star. You were born at a moment in time when all the planets and stars were lined up to create such a beautiful matrix of light. And you are the coming alive of that. You are the coming alive of a matrix of light, energy, and intelligence here to shine, to really shine that light, to know who you are is one of the greatest gifts in the world and to feel that you've got the support of nature, right? So to know who you are as Jyotish, to feel you have the support of nature as Ayurveda and to really live it, to live in the center of your being, I find that yoga. So they're very, very integrated. And if yoga is actually helping us seek to know who we truly are, it's got to chip away all the hard marble, right? We always say, you know, in India, they say that the head is like a coconut right? Very hard outer shell, but very sweet and soft on the inside. You know, that's kind of what we are. We want to get up from the hard head into the soft heart, right? And so we got to work with the mind and the moon relates to the mind. So Joshua first and foremost focuses on the moon and the mind and then helps you with that. Secondly, it's very much the science of karma. Why are you experiencing this? Why these challenges? To help you understand that all of these challenges come not to punish you, not because you were bad five lives ago or in you know the Middle Ages, but because these are the specific events and encounters that will help chip away and reveal your true nature. So the karma comes to help you reveal your dharma, your purpose and your path. So it also is about helping us get back to the essence of being the source of our being so that we can untie the knots of our karma, dissolve the suffering, come back to that pure state, and create again from there. It's really a powerful science. Wow. You know, I want to quickly pause you right there because what you just said, I mean, it just, I got the chills all over my body. You just said that we are a star. We were born at a moment in time when all of the planets and stars were lined up to create a matrix of light. And we are the coming alive of that. The coming alive of light, energy, and intelligence to know who we are, and to feel the support of nature along the way. I mean, wow. And it's true, because we do all come into this world with a purpose, with our dharma. And it is really our one duty in this lifetime to chip away at what is not serving us, everything in society that piles up to distract us from who we are, And it's amazing that we have this system of Joydish and Ayurveda to help us reveal our truest nature. And so, Laura, this now begs the question that if we all come into this lifetime with a purpose, and this question comes up in almost every conversation I have, the question of how does free will versus predeterminism come into play? And I know that's such a loaded question, so what I'm going to do, Laura, is break up our conversation into a two-part series. 
So today we covered what Vedic astrology is, how it differs from the astrology that we know in the West, and how it is connected to yoga and Ayurveda. Next week, in part two, I want to discuss free will and predeterminism, and the question, is it really all written in the stars for us? I also want to talk about how we can make sense of some of the suffering that we witnessed this past summer with all of the hurricanes and the fires that tore through so many communities. And lastly, I want to discuss what we can expect from the stars for the rest of 2023. If you are interested in scheduling an appointment with Laura, she has been so generous to offer our community 10% off her services. I included the code along with her website and information in the show description. If you enjoyed today's episode, then definitely stay tuned for part two coming next week. And until then, Laura and I will talk to you next Tuesday. 